Welcome to the Quantum Leopard podcast. Uh, Quantum Leopard is a multi-award winning, pay what you like, no punching down, no picking on the audience, gender balance booking, central London Saturday night of lovely comedy, and this is its podcast. Every episode will have a recording of a real live set from one of our nights and an interview with the comedy brain behind it. Uh, we have uh, videos of full shows up on patreon.com forward slash Quantum Leopard, and that's going to have loads of sets that aren't in the podcast as well. Uh, we only charge when new live show videos come out. I'm your host and MC, James Ross, and this is Quantum Leopard. This episode, we have the wonderful Joss Norris. Uh, we uh, This set was recorded on the 25th of September 2021 by Matt Hyten at uh, 2 North Down, and the interview took place on the 27th of June 2022. Uh, there's some chunks of this set that are pretty visual, so you just have to imagine them, like if you were reading some sort of book. Oh, my goodness. Oh, just imagine. Uh, content warnings for mental health here, uh, and uh, do enjoy the episode. Woo. Everybody okay? Great, great, great. Uh, lovely to be here. Uh, they say, they say that you uh, you play Quantum Leopard uh, thirty-seven times <laughs> in your career. Um, uh, once on the way up, <laughs> uh, and then uh, once. Uh, again, about like between sort of nine months to a year later, you just you just do it again. Um, you do it again, and then uh, once, quite a while after that, actually, as sort of as a favour, really, <laughs> if, we're, if we're being honest, so kind of as a favour. Yeah, yeah, I, I can do that. Uh, and then once on the way down, of course, once on the way down. Um, how many is that? One, two, three. that's four. Uh, so then once, once a little while after that, where, where like things have kind of picked up a little bit for you, like you were on the way down and but like you haven't like bottomed out, like maybe you're not where you were or maybe you're not where like you kind of hoped or like imagined you would be. But it's but like it's okay, it's like, you know, you, you, you do it. It's sort of got to a point where like the, the, the fact that you do this has become sort of part of like how you process the world and how you interpret the world and it's kind of you can't really imagine even though it's probably not doing much good here you can't you can't really imagine another way of kind of like navigating the world and and, and so you do it and like and, and and you're happy basically you're happy you know you're happy to do it you're happy to, to be there you're happy to still be exploring still be imagining um and then just a few more times after that <laughs> So uh, it's great to be back. <laughs> which which one is it? Which one is it? Do you think? Um, oh, it is. It's lovely to be back. It's weird to be back, actually. It's weird to be back doing this again. So you know, after after the time that we've had, you know, I've, I've, you go about eighteen months not making anybody laugh at all, which is it's weird, and then you're back. Um, it's particularly tough when you know I've I've been gigging. <laughs> The whole, <laughs> I was gigging the whole way through. People just haven't been laughing. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. People were saying, you have to go home. <laughs> what are you doing here? This is where I live. And I'd be like, I've got to gig. 
if I don't gig, then what, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, I've got a gig. Anyway, um, I'm, I, it's, it's lovely to be here this evening. I'd, I'd like to talk to you about the meaning of life. Um, I, would, I would. I want to talk to you about the meaning of life because um, I'm sort of... The reason I'm talking about this to audiences at the moment is because I'm sort of currently on a, a sort of like a spiritual quest um, to find the meaning in my life. That's what I'm doing right now. Um, oh. <laughs> Very heavy contact lens. Um, <laughs> rubbish. Absolutely rubbish. Uh, <laughs> but genuinely, I'm on a, I'm on a sort of a, spirit, a spiritual mission to find... This is part of it. This is all part of it. I'm on a kind of a spiritual quest to find the meaning in, in my life. Uh, so I'll talk to you a bit about that in a minute. Uh, before I do that, I will just set the mood properly, because obviously if you're going to go into that sort of meaning of life stuff, then you've got to create the right uh, conditions, the right atmosphere. Uh, so I'll start with my joke. I'll do my, my joke um, so that we've laughed. And then, um, and then I, will go, I will talk about the meaning of life. Um, I will set the conditions for the meaning of life. So I'll do... Should I do my joke? Yeah. Okay, I'll do my joke. Um, so I need a song for this joke. I'll uh, cue it up. Um, do you all know the band Chic? Yeah. Okay, about five of you. <laughs> okay. This is, this is going to be fine. <laughs> it's going to be fine. It might not fly. It might not fly, but it's, it's, a, solid, it's a solid gag. Um, we'll do it, it'll, it'll make you laugh, and then we'll set the conditions for talking about the meaning of life. Uh, so, <laughs> five of you know the bad shit, this is going to be fucking awful. <laughs> this isn't going to, nobody's going to get it. Um, but can you, uh, can you all think of a chic song? Can you, get a, can you get a chic song in your head? Yeah, okay, you can get a, is it the right one? Because it's crucial for the, for the joke that you are thinking of the right Chic song, the right song by the band Chic, which only about five of you know. So are you all? I can't tell you which one it is because that's the punchline <laughs> of the joke. So I can't tell you, but like, are you reasonable? Because I know, obvi obviously, I know there's two. I know there are two you could be thinking of, but like, are you think are you thinking of the right one? I can't tell you, so don't shout it. Because it will, it will kill it dead, this gag. And this gag is hanging by a thread as it is. It's good. It's a solid gag. It was in the, the Guardian's Top 10 Jokes of the Fringe, 2019. Three, three years ago. Three years ago. I know. I've not headlined in a long time, and I'm falling back on my gold. I'm doing my gold for you guys. Guardian's top 10 jokes of the Fringe 2019, and I thought I'd, get, I'd dust it off. So, about five of you, <laughs> about five of you know the band Chic, but a few of you think you've got the song in your head. And you think, put your hand up if you reckon it's the right song. Oh, this is gonna be awful. <laughs> this is gonna be so bad. But I gotta do it, okay, I gotta do it. There's a prop and a song, I'm so sorry. Okay, joke, okay. Right, the band Chic, I'll just do it. The band Chic, the band Chic, that about five of us know. Do you reckon that the band Chic, this is going to be awful, do you reckon that the band Chic ever found any takers for that free cow they were always trying to get rid of? Oh, free cow! 
Does anybody want a cow? Free cow! Genuinely, I'm trying to get rid of this cow! Free cow! Honestly, I'm giving the thing away! Free cow! I don't want any money for it! Free cow! What are you gonna do to get rid of a fucking cow? Free cow! I'm just trying to clear out some space! Free cow! Promise it's in good condition! Free cow! You've got to come and collect it, I'm not paying for delivery. Anyway, um, this is a joke. It's a joke, isn't it? Oh, been a long time, been a long time. Okay, that's the joke. We've all laughed. Uh, I will now set the conditions, set the mood to talk about the meaning of life. Here we go. I've heard it said that comedy is about 90% about So my performances are about 90% this. Imagine me doing comedy on Zoom. <laughs> Try and imagine the two years after doing this to yourself. Try a slightly different move. I just, uh, I just submitted a uh, funding application for a grant from the Arts Council. <laughs> Imagine that. To continue my important work. <laughs> Who else is going to fund my work? You know? <laughs> Audiences. <laughs> As if. <laughs> Audiences funding this. Anyway. Um, right, so the thing is, the reason I want to talk about the meaning of life is because I've been thinking about it a lot recently. I bought a... Uh, I bought what I thought was a very cheap sausage baguette recently from a, from a cafe. That's what I thought I bought, a very, very cheap sausage baguette with uh, butter and ketchup in it. And I only found out at the bottom of the road that the cafe was on uh, that what I had actually bought was a plain baguette, an empty baguette, with butter and ketchup in it. So she'd heard every single one of my 
requests accept the sausage, which is fine. That's completely fine. Like it was, a, I wasn't angry. It was a miscommunication. I asked for this. She didn't hear sausage. She put some butter and ketchup in a baguette, and then I guess sort of guessed a price because <laughs> I think it's something they don't normally sell. So she was like, I don't know, forty p, and I was like, that's incredible. <laughs> that is so good. Paid my forty p, and then and then left. And the reason I'm now sort of fascinated by this is because I found out that day exactly how far down the baguette I can get <laughs> before I realize that there is no sausage in it. And it's way past halfway. It's, it's such a long way down. It's, there was about that much, it was about that long, the baguette, it was like a, that, and then I got about that much left, and that, that much length of a baguette thinking, I'm gonna get a bite of sausage in a minute. And then that much left to going, that's it. That is it. And it's got me thinking a lot because it's, 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 it's a lot like life. <laughs> you know, it's a lot like life. How far through this can you get before you go, wait a minute, where's the, where's the stuff? You know, where's the, where's the substance of my life? What's it, where, where, what, that's it? That was it and now I've got that much left. So I'm thinking about that a lot. I'm trying to work out what, I, what I'm gonna do about it. And um, one of the things I've decided uh, I'm gonna do, well, I, ha I had a dream a while ago, and the dream had a wise saying in it. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna try and sort of go down this path and try and like create some wisdom in my life. The dream had this wise saying, and I woke up, and I Googled the wise saying to make sure that it had come from me and that I hadn't stolen it from somewhere in the world. Can't find any trace of it anywhere on Google, so I think this is a gift to you from my subconscious. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it. I think it's good. I do think it's good. I'm not bragging, because it just appeared in a dream. I didn't come up with it, but it arrived, and I think it's very good. Um, so it just goes, uh, if you are trying to find your own skeleton, yeah, if you're trying to find your own skeleton, you cannot start by looking in the bin. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Wow! Who, I mean, who, who get, that's good. That is good stuff. Who does it speak to? Because it got me there. Who, who gets it? Who, 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 who understands that? Who reckons that speaks to them? Come on. You could read that in a, in a book of Dalai Lama thoughts. You could have that, you'd go, that's a weird one. But like, it could be, it could be in there. If you are looking for your own skeleton, you cannot start by looking in the bin. <laughs> what does it mean? I think it's good. Because if you're trying to get what's in here, if you're looking for what's inside, you can't be looking in the bin, you know? You know what I mean? Stop going through the bin, it's in here! Your skeleton is in here! <laughs> so I thought that was very good, and I thought I need to try and get this to the Dalai Lama somehow. Um, <laughs> to put in one of his books. And I found out he's on Twitter. Did you know this? The Dalai Lama's on Twitter. The guy tweets. Guess how many people he follows? Any guesses? Zero. 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 I think that's so classy. <laughs> and so on brand for the Dalai Lama. Of course he doesn't follow anybody. Doesn't want other people's shit filling up his feed. Just wants to shout his nonsense into the void. <laughs> and get nothing back, I don't want anything back. I just want to shout. <laughs> don't want to, don't at me. Um, but he's on Twitter, he tweets stuff like this. He says stuff like, we are self-centered and selfish. He says, 
following zero people. Uh, we are self-centered and selfish, but we need to be wisely selfish, not foolishly so. If we neglect others, we too lose. We have to support others. We can educate people to understand that the best way to fulfill their own interest is to be concerned about the welfare of others. That's the sort of thing the Dalai Lama tweets. Uh, taking full advantage of the extended character limit that they introduced a little while ago. Um, so that's the sort of stuff he tweets. I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's the Dalai Lama tweeting. Somehow, I feel like it isn't. I try to picture him like having a thought and then going, so good thought, I'll tweet that. <laughs> and it feels wrong. So the alternatives, I guess, are that he has like an underling and he has a good thought and he says it and then he goes, Tweet that. <laughs> and that feels wrong as well. I don't think that's him either. So I think what it must be is that he's got nothing to do with it. I don't think he's on Twitter at all. I don't think he knows about it. But he'll have a team. He'll have a team that do it. So the Dalai Lama will say something wise. And then over here, his team will be like, tweet that. That was good. Tweet that. But then I don't understand what happens because, like, he does the books as well, the little books of, like, the Dalai Lama's little thoughts of wisdom. So I don't know how they differentiate between what's for the book and what's, for, the, what's for, the, for Twitter, you know? I don't know if the Dalai Lama goes, that is for Patreon subscribers. Don't, don't tweet that. Don't give that out for free. That is for like top tier. I'll, give, I'll do some like be kind shit and you can tweet that. But my good stuff is going in the book. Anyway, anyway, I thought it'd be quite fun if um, we managed to engineer it so that I become the first person that the Dalai Lama follows on Twitter. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're just going to we're just going to compose a tweet, and um, we'll try and get him. We'll tag him into it, of course, because otherwise he doesn't follow anyone, so he's not going to see it. So we'll tag him into this tweet. And um, if you'd if you'd like to, I can't see all the stickers, but if you could um, if you could all raise your hand if you're willing to contribute to this tweet, then I'll go around and we'll do a word each. We'll each do a word. So hello, what's the first word of this tweet going to be? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Hello. Second word. Oh, the, uh, the, 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 did, you had your hand up, did you? Yes, uh, second word. People. If people, this is good. <laughs> this is good stuff. Um, I should clarify, I want him to follow me for my wisdom, <laughs> not for my comedy. So we're trying to do a wise tweet. And also at some point, remember, we do need to tag him into it. So let me know when you want him tagged in. Uh, so if people are cool, Thinking. If people are thinking, yes, about. about. I don't know where. It... <laughs> Life. <laughs> this is so Dalai Lama. <laughs> He's gonna love this shit. Uh, uh, hello. Would you like to add a word? Sure. If people are thinking about life, do you want to do you want a comma in there? <laughs> comma don't. Or you want it to run through. If people are thinking about life, don't. <laughs> if people are thinking about life, don't at Dalai Lama. Are we, are we leaving it there? Yeah. Is that the tweet? Okay, CC at Pontypex. <laughs> Just you know, get some more, get some more eyes on it. Tweets. 
There we go. We'll see how that does. <laughs> we'll check in on that. We'll check in on that later. Um, I... What's going on in the world at the moment? I, uh, a lot of the time I kind of look at what's going on in the country and it makes me feel quite sad. And I sort of ask myself whether this is a, a good or a useful thing to do. Like sometimes I try to convince myself that if you're making a few people smile, then maybe you're adding value. And then other times it just feels a bit like vanity. And I look at what's going on in the world. And to be honest, a lot of the time I end up thinking, you know, maybe we blew it. Maybe we blew it. You know, maybe we were given a certain amount of time to do good things in this place. And we blew it, and now we sort of hurtle towards the end of it. But then I read this, uh, The Book of Joy by the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu. It's about how to find lasting happiness in a changing world, how to find joy. Uh, I'd like to just read you a couple of my favorite extracts from it. Uh, here we go, for anyone else who's been feeling this way. Desmond Tutu sat down on the sofa, and there was a really long, loud fart noise that went on for ages and ages. Ha 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 ha, said the Dalai Lama. I can't believe you just did that. It sounded like you shat yourself. But I didn't even shit myself, said Desmond Tutu. You must have put a whoopee cushion in here or something. I didn't put a whoopee cushion in there, said the Dalai Lama. I just heard a really long, loud fart noise. It sounded like you shat yourself. But I didn't shit myself, said Desmond Tutu. And he started searching through the cushions, trying to find the whoopee cushion. I didn't put a whoopee cushion in there, said the Dalai Lama. But I got the whole thing on camera, buddy, and now I'm uploading it to YouTube. Everybody's going to lose their shit over this really funny video. I'm going to call it The Archbishop Emeritus of South Africa Shits Himself. Please don't upload it to YouTube, said Desmond Tutu. Well, he who smelt it dealt it, said the Dalai Lama. That doesn't even make any sense, said Desmond Tutu, because you're the one who smelt it. I'm not the one who smells it, said the Dalai Lama. I never said anything about smelling it. I heard it. I heard a really long, loud fart noise, and it went on for ages, and it sounded like you shat yourself, and now I'm going to upload it to YouTube. Please don't upload it to YouTube, said Desmond Tutu. That kind of thing. So I find it quite difficult to perform that bit. It makes me quite sad. I need to make a, I need to make a phone call. Sorry, bear with me. Oh, sorry, could, it, could we have that a lot louder? The obviously fake sound cue that I've just pretended to um, line up. Is that all right? <laughs> Thank you very much. Sorry, I get quite upset when I perform that bit. I have to make a phone call now. Sorry, bear with me. It just, life can be Hello, tricky. big boy. You're through to hot sex chat live. The oh. steamiest. Sorry, there's been a mistake. Sorry, I thought I was calling the Samaritans. Oh, God, sorry, I'm reading from the wrong script. Hello, Samaritans. Oh, wow, that's so cool. Wow, you uh, volunteer for the Samaritans, but you also work for a sex chat line. That's very, you're, you're a polymath. Yeah, well, you know how it is. It's, it's hard to do the things you care about and think are important while also holding down a job. Gig economy, portfolio yeah. careers. And I, I completely understand. I'm a comedian, so I empathize. Oh, yeah, we get a lot of comedians calling in. For which service? Uh, even split, to be honest. Okay. So what would you like to talk about? Um, I just feel like my self-esteem's quite low at the moment, and I keep sort of just randomly bursting into tears out of nowhere. Um, I'm not wearing any knickers. Is that the wrong script again? Yep. Sorry, that is the sex line script. Sorry, I've got, I've got too many tabs open. It's cool. I completely understand. You were saying? Yeah, I feel like sometimes I neglect my friendships, but other times I sort of lean too heavily on them. So generally You've it's been a very bad boy. Is that the sex line script again? No, that's the Samaritan script. Oh. Oh, well, I guess, yeah, maybe I have been a bit of a bad boy. 
It's all about taking personal responsibility at the end of the day. You're completely right. Thank you. That's really put everything into perspective. Don't mention it. Did you come? Anyway. This is a new character. This is a new character. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it. This is a character. The character is uh, a greengrocer who loves the police. He's a greengrocer who loves the police. I think you're going to enjoy it a lot. A greengrocer who loves the police. Here we go. Fresh fruit. Fish. Shit. Hold on. Did I say fruit or fish? Ah, oh, yeah, it is fruit. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I get, I get confused. I get confused. It's, it's newish. It's newish. When I first did it, it was a fishmonger. Um, I had to change it because it wasn't very funny. Um, <laughs> but but there's, there's, no, there's no time. There's no time. Uh, finish with a final, a final extract from. This is just for the people who find it hard to hold on to joy day by day. Another little extract from the Book of Joy. Archbishop Desmond Tutu peered nervously into the changing rooms. The coast appeared to be clear, so he started to tiptoe through. But the Dalai Lama was lying in wait for him. He leapt out and whipped out with his towel, hitting the Archbishop right in the bollocks and causing his towel to fall down, revealing his bum William balls to the entire monastery. You fucker, shouted Desmond Tutu. You sneaky little fucker. I'm coming to get you, shouted the Dalai Lama. And he chased after him, snapping out with his towel, whipping him in the backside again and again and again. And for a few minutes, the only sounds in the temple at Dharamshala were the slapping of their feet on the tiles and the snapping of the towel. Desmond Tutu's shrieks and the Dalai Lama's giggles and the singing of the birds and the crashing of the waves. That was Charles Norris's live set, uh, then uh, recorded and listened to, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it uh, as much as I did. Uh, plus or minus 20%. I'm not going to tell you how it feel. Um, okay, uh, I have uh, here with me uh, the wonderful Charles Norris. Hi, Charles Norris. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good, thanks. You? Yeah, good, good, Great. good, 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 good. Uh, cool, absolute pleasure. And um, thank you so much for uh, coming and joining us. I've got a bunch of questions here that I would like to ask you about uh, yeah. your lovely set. So, uh, you did this set with us. I think it was sort of 20... September ish, was it? August, September? It was. 25th of September 2021 right. uh, so you know setting the scene sort of uh, mid, mid pandemic ish I think we'd only been back a couple of gigs uh, by yeah. then uh, yeah, after yeah. Um, yeah like lockdown proper and then the sort of like you know the unofficial semi lockdown where people who were being sensible were trying not to like, yeah we're doing their best kill to the actually do things because, they were told to do and yeah that um, one, that nice yeah, bit. Yeah, that one. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I remember being like properly rusty for like several gigs in with this. So like, how were you feeling coming into this gig? Like, how did you find the audience and how were you? I was sort of, so I remember coming away from this one being like, I, I had a lot of fun with it, but was was sort of frustrated with myself, I guess, for not, not having, not being at my sharpest. Because I kind mm. of think, I think this was quite early on in the time of my coming back to gigging. Mm -hmm. I think at this point when I did this gig, I was really at a, at a stage of trying to prioritise, like, finding my own sort of delight on stage and, like, try to remember how to have a fun time up there and how to be silly and start trying to kickstart those 
engines again. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of where my head was at coming away. And I think I felt a little bit frustrated with myself, just because Quantum Leopard's like the, the nicest audience in London. So I think I really felt like, oh, those, those guys, I always love performing to those guys. And whenever I come back to that gig, I have such a nice time. So I was kind of tough on myself about like, oh, they probably deserved a bit better. But I think it was kind of the, the best I could do at the time, you know. <laughs> I, I think audiences were kind of a little bit kind of out of practice as well. Mm. Yeah. Like with that um like i found for the first few gigs um back uh after like long lockdown there was there was weird stuff like audience chatter in a way that yeah. there kind of was audience chatter before and this isn't like not from like quantum level regulars because you know they weren't raised in a barn by yeah wolves. like yeah, you know, so they, they know they, they know how to behave at the <laughs> they know theater how to be nice. but like but um you know people are a bit more sort of like um uh, passing trade or whatever it's like look this isn't it's not the telly like this yeah. isn't a zoom gig anymore like this yeah. is uh, we're, we're in person now so you reference like having a bit of a break from uh stand-up obviously because of the lockdown i yeah. I possibly do i do i recall correctly that you've had other breaks in the past from live yeah work? i sort of had a bit of a long break in 2018 because i think mm. i i reached a point where i i felt like i'd i'd done everything that i could do on my own if that makes sense like i'd done yeah. fringe shows that i'd built completely by myself and yeah. I'd, I'd achieved a certain amount with them and i was proud of those shows and i liked them but i kind of got to a point where i was like i'm kind of just sick of mashing bits of my own life together and then talking about it and then that being it so yeah. I sort of had a bit of a break and then did a bit of writing and a bit of acting. And when I came back, I tried to sort of invite other people in to work on the shows with me. So I started building shows more collaboratively, really, because I think it's just a way of elevating what you do. Like as soon as you invite people in, it means you have to work that bit harder. Uh, mm. So that was another break of about a year or so where I just went, I'm going to stop gigging for a bit and try and remember. I think, yeah, you, as soon as you notice yourself getting tired of the thing you do, it's probably a good sign to go, OK, I'll freshen up what I'm doing then. And then it will mean I remember how to have fun with this again yeah 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 no that makes a lot of sense and i suppose it's i mean that's a very good approach as an artist i think it's worth recognizing that that's something that a lot of people who are doing particular things particularly if they're doing them for a living as a principal source of income that's mm. not an option that's open to a lot of people yeah uh, yeah, of yeah i'm like i'm i'm super lucky that you know comedy is very much a side gig for me um so if i want to put it down for a bit i can put it down for a bit yeah um and i yeah i think that's not something that, that a lot of people have yeah. um so um i just want to let's uh have a chat about the the set itself so yeah. um I, I really like your kind of uh your opening bit when you talk about doing quantum leopard um 37 times yeah yeah um it's a really nice one so i always um yeah it's a really interesting way to start the set like it feels very specific to the room and uh to the crowd while also being like a very jos norris way of doing it because it's got yeah you know it, it's got the, the some of the key jos norris elements of uh having a sort of this weird offbeat rhythm and relying on obscure musical references which is yeah. again a thing i very much associate <laughs> yeah, that with happens, you um, uh, so i mean is this um is this something that is like a a common opener for you I've sort of gone back to it. It was a thing I wrote a few years ago, and I think I wrote it for ACMS, for the mm. Alternative Comedy Memorial Society, uh, which, for listeners who don't know, is a kind of very long-running cult, uh, kind of fringe institution comedy night. It's got lots of lots of in-jokes and sort of, sort of one regular audience that's been coming to it for 12 years. Uh, and I think I kind of wrote that routine for it, sort of just as a bit of a, a joke and a comment on the way I'd seen comedians do it, really. Like, you, it, people would start doing it, and they would do it a lot and use it as a bit of a crutch to try out new ideas, and then eventually they would become more successful and sort of move on, or then they might come back and be like, oh, I need to try some new ideas again. And because that audience loves in-jokes and loves sort of being poked fun at, I kind of wrote that uh, bit sort of just as a way to kind of have some fun with the concept of the night. And then I think I went back to it this year because it never made it into a show or anything. Mm -hmm. uh, so I sort of returned to that bit and felt like actually now I'd kind of been doing comedy long enough that suddenly that bit at the end about 
continuing to do it past the point of like actually now this is for you this isn't about where you're trying to get like suddenly that felt felt quite true to where i was at and what my thinking was so i thought actually i can take this routine and use it in a way that says a little bit about how i feel really so i've been doing it at different nights for a while i kind of changed the number depending on what the night was and i tried to slightly vary the the rhythm of what it was i was saying as though there was i, I don't really know how whether consciously what i was doing with that but i tried to kind of tailor it as though it was different every time but essentially it always followed those same rhythms of like you do this gig and then you come up and then you go down and then you try and figure out where you are at the end of it all like that was basically the the shape of it every night yeah. that i tried it at so i mean i've i've heard of the that reference being made to sort of i think i, I want to say it's the brixton academy like it's a venue that you play on the way up and you play on yeah. the way down yeah it, yeah yeah is so am, am i correct is that what you were specifically going for or have i missed the reference i just know it as a, i forget exactly where it's from but i know it as an old old kind of i think it is a musical gag i, I, yeah. I could equally believe that it belongs somewhere in like musical comedy or like end of the period yeah, so yeah, I have no yeah. idea where the joke came from but the joke I think is you play this venue twice in your career once on the way up once on the way down yeah. it's great to be back so the joke is haha I'm I'm failing now is the, I, I'm, is in, the I'm in decline yeah. love me yeah yeah, yeah 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 so the idea of kind of exploding that and then actually trying to kind of look in increasingly absurd detail at the, the track that a performance career kind of puts you on and what that does to you psychologically was yeah. sort of the thing I was trying to have fun with with it uh and I think, yeah, kind of getting to a point now where I can try and almost sort of say something genuine about how I feel about that. Whereas when I wrote the routine, I was sort of a very new comedian making fun of old comedians who've been going for ages and are still doing it kind of thing. I was like, oh, now that's me. Now I am an old comedian who's been going for ages and is still faffing around doing the same old nonsense. Um, so, yeah, it was quite fun to kind of turn it around on myself all of a sudden. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because you do the, uh, I, I, you, you do probably sort of um, uh, very well the, the standard comedic technique of finding a thing and like hugely overanalyzing it and kind yeah. of here is here is a detail, let's magnify it. Um, yeah. But you also have that sort of, uh, again, another sort of classic Joss Norris sting of putting in a bit of, um, you know, how you actually feel about stuff yeah. um, and presenting it, uh, you know, in a very, um, I think, well, presumably emotionally honest way. Um, and then having that as basically being a punchline without necessarily yeah. needing to like <laughs> yeah, have, it, have it involve a pun or be a it's a great get out, that. really. You just go, yeah. well, I was, I was honest, so <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> well, I, I don't need to put I, a I, laugh in there. Yeah, I, well, no, I, I told you about my feelings, um, and yeah. that, you know, and being that Let's radically honest. On. Yeah, exactly. Being, but well, but being that honest is is like it's doing the comedian's thing of like I would expose a bit of myself, show a bit of vulnerability. Um, yeah. But you know, the way that you present it is in such a like such a yeah like, such an honest way without having it to be without having it be like a sting or um, necessarily being like you know sort of humiliating or casting yourself as low status. It's just like yeah. here's here's how I really feel about stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah i quite like trying to kind of hide that stuff within there because i think yeah. i think i've always loved that I've, for whatever reason i've always loved shows that have that moment where you get some truth or you get some honesty for it and i think it mm -hmm. took me a very long time to work out how you do that artfully because i think the temptation is always just mm -hmm. just tell people everything just go on there and go oh these are the things i find hard in life or whatever and i think obviously there's nothing funny or entertaining about that it's just <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole different thing so i think learning how to disguise it so that it functions as a laugh or it or it kind of it serves the same purpose as a joke almost that's been a, a, a gradual thing of learning how to get better at i think mm -hmm. yeah i mean i've got a lot of time for the sort of the the shows that are i am one person i am doing an hour this hour is about my struggle with thing x like yeah. i quite quite like that uh provided it's a topic that i find interesting if yeah I, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah um so i've got plenty of time for that but I, yeah i think the, the way that you do it is considerably different and it's like it's worked in with a load of other motifs and techniques as well it's not just an hour of storytelling when you see like a Joss Norris yeah, yeah. well I think the thing about storytelling is
is a really good book because I think I think I'm with you that like when you when you have a vested interest in the thing they're communicating, then you're like, mm. okay, I want to hear everything that you have to say about it. But I think as yet, I've never really landed on a subject where I'm like, this is a fascinating subject that everybody needs to know about. Like the things that I'm trying to say are basically just very vague things about my own kind of emotional inner life or whatever. And there's that's not interesting to anybody really. <laughs> so I think you always want to you always want to put in just enough for them to be like, oh yeah, I get that because I feel like that too. But no yeah. more. I think as soon as you put in more, then they go whatever. Everybody feels like that. Get over yeah. it. But if you give them just enough for them to go, yeah, I, I, I feel that way too. Then I think that's that's kind of enough. Then, yeah, I, I think that shows uh, an admirable degree of uh, self restraint on your part because I know there's there's a lot of people out there who've gone like, I've I've had this traumatic experience. Now I'm going to make an hour about it. Yeah, and everyone must know all the details. Yeah, and, and sometimes I'll be honest, like that traumatic experience is not traumatic enough to get a full hour. That's the um, thing, yeah. And you know, you're talking about like one person's struggle, when it's like, is it a struggle or yeah. is it more of a nuisance? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, let's let's punch up this. The thing I want to ask, so you've obviously got this bit that is about um, uh, that pokes fun at your kind of progression, going up, going down, but going up and down thirty-seven times, yeah. right, yeah, oscillating yeah. around the the mean point of doing yeah. method. So, like, how how do you feel about your your progression as as a comedian? Um, I think, I mean, I think the the sort of journey I track in that bit is not a a, an, a fully worked out accurate kind of reflection of what I think my journey has been because mm. there's that bit within it where I go oh and then you do come back and do this night as a favour or whatever which I've never felt like I've, I, <laughs> I've never felt like that about any gig because I'm always just kind of grateful of the opportunity to do shows really yeah. um, so I've, I've never really felt like it's it's gone in that way at all I think I am really happy that it's got to a point where I I'm I am able to do it like I'm sort of continually able to kind of make stuff I mm-hmm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm interested in mm. I think at any level of what you're doing you always kind of there are always more things you want to do and there's always a sort of oh it'd be great if I could do a show in that sort of venue or tour it or I could, if I could make that kind of if I could write more or whatever so I think there's there's always going to be new things but I think I've I've reached a point now where I'm quite comfortable I've been talking a lot to Bentage about this who I've been making this new show with and me and him have been talking a lot about the idea that um, we're both very aware that this is just what we're going to do now. Like it's not, there's probably not going to be a point where suddenly we have to stop unless things go catastrophically badly. And it may well be that we never get to a point where we go, wow, we're on top of the world. We're the greatest people at this that there ever. But eventually you just kind of find some peace within it where you go, this I think is what I do. And it sort of continually interests me. And when I when it doesn't interest me, I kind of find ways to take it in a new direction so that suddenly it does interest me. And I think finding that sort of plateau, I guess, within the kind of the highs and the lows is that's the place you want to get to of just being comfortable in the fact that you're probably going to keep doing this. So that's sort of where I'm yeah. at now. There are more things I want to do, but I think I now just have the hope that like, fingers crossed, if I just keep doing it, then maybe eventually I'll get to do them. Or if not, never mind, you know. So I think that's where I'm at with it now. You've you've made several sort of oblique references to being sort of baffled by things you've been offered. Like, oh yeah, th- what what have you been offered? That seems weird. Uh, that, that seems, the... I say weird. I seems like because weird would be fine. What has been offered to you that seems inappropriate uh, in terms of who you are and how you're presenting? I suppose the maddest thing I ever got asked to do was that I I did the warm up for Celebrity Squares a few years ago, oh, and I was yeah. so I think I've talked about it on some other podcasts, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and it was a disastrous gig. It was absolutely awful. But at the time, I was like wow, that's quite exciting. And it's not the kind of thing I thought I would end up doing because it's quite a mainstream show and it's big kind of shiny floor Saturday night telly. So I'll give it a go and I'll try it. And I was just an awful booking for it. I was completely inappropriate for that audience. Not inappropriate in terms of like what I was saying was horrible. Just they didn't like or understand. Me. They were just like, who's yeah, this guy yeah. and what's he talking about? Uh, so I think that was the one where I was really like, okay, that's this is one of those ones where people had a different idea in their heads of what I would end up doing. 
And how do you get off of that? That was just they saw me do warm up for a different show that was like a run through of a new panel show, and they because yeah. it was a run through of a brand new idea, they were recording it in the basement of an old dilapidated town hall, and the vibe ah, was very chunky. So yeah. I could kind of come yeah. on and be a bit loose and ragged and silly, and it kind of worked with the vibe. And some TV guy in there very kindly misunderstood what I was doing. <laughs> I was like, hey, this guy seems to be a good warm-up guy. Let's get him on. And, yeah. Uh, what what you're confusing shot. there is that is the result with the method. Right? Yeah, 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 Which yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very, very, yeah I, I agree with you. It's very flattering to be misunderstood that way. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, but I think that was a big too. learning curve of like, there, there are some things that are just not the right thing. And there are some people yeah. that are not the right people for that path. So I think that made me disengage a lot from those sorts of opportunities and it wasn't that then i was like if i ever get one again i'll turn it down like i've not really had any other offers of that kind of thing so i don't i don't know what i would do if yeah, i yeah if live at the apollo came knocking tomorrow i have no idea what i would do <laughs> yeah this is the thing like the conventional wisdom is like take every opportunity roll every dice yeah open every door whereas actually there is value in like you know knowing your limits yeah, and yeah, yeah, saying yeah. no to stuff that you don't think that you're going to enjoy or find value in yeah um yeah, so you've got like these, there's, there's two structured bits in the first three minutes um, mm. that suggest that performance is like a core and absolutely inextricable part of who you are and how you relate to the world. So, I mean, I, like, firstly, is that true? And secondly, are you are you happy about that? I think it's true in as much as like, I don't know, I certainly don't know what I would be doing if I didn't do this in terms of a job. Yeah. I don't have like a clear, there was never a point in my life where I was like, well, I could go down this path that's been laid out for me, or I could I could go down the kind of wild path of being a stand-up. I think because my, my parents were both in the arts, my mum was a singer and my dad is was a, um, that both is, I don't know why I <laughs> messed around <laughs> with, the, both is currently, um, and my dad is a pianist. So they were both in the arts. So I think there was never any point where I was kind of being pushed to, to get a, a a steady job in one field and then went off mm. the other way. So because of that, and, and stand-up was just the thing that I kind of landed in at uni. And I went, oh, this is great. Maybe I'll do this. Uh, so because I don't have a clear sense of what I would be doing, I think that also means I don't have a clear sense of like who I would be if I didn't do it. Because I think mm. those choices you make about what you do have a big impact on who you end up being. Like the fact that I went, I'm going to be an idiot for a living then does a lot about what sort of person you end up being, I think. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily that... When I say, like, I don't know who I would be if I didn't do comedy, I don't mean that I would be, like, nothing and nobody and I'd be an empty vessel. It's not that kind of, like, unfillable void thing. It's just I have no idea. Like, I think it's... it's I never had a clear other version of, of what my life would be, really. So I think that's what I mean when I'm talking about the kind of keyness of it. And I think because of that, it then means that everything you learn through it becomes not just a thing you're learning about the job. It becomes a key thing you're learning about about your life and about how you relate to people and, and all that kind of thing. I think it's, and maybe this is just freelancing, actually, like the way life sort of bleeds across into like you don't have a kind of delineated job life, home life. So yeah. anything that happens in your in your work world then kind of affects who you become. So I guess that's what I mean, I think, when I, mm, when there's mm. those bits about like, no, this is who I am or whatever. It's not like an existential cry for help. It's more just a like, <laughs> I, I don't know any other version of myself. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, mean, I suppose there's, there's two ways of like um, emphasising the tone within, you know, I, I don't know who I would be is mm. like... One is despairing, um, yeah. as in, I have no idea what <laughs> yeah. I would be. What and the I? other is, like, I literally <laughs> yeah. have no idea what yeah, I would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be fascinated like, to know. What we are. Yeah. It would be interesting yeah. to see. But who, I think, yeah, is... that's the thing, is it just, it, it, it affects a lot of then what you, what the world becomes in your in your mind's eye, I guess, is kind of yeah. tied up with the fact that you've decided to do this. Yeah, 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 interesting. I mean, you talk about freelancing. So, I mean, like, to, do you do you have, like, side hustles within 
what you do do you support yourself in any other way i, I think i basically i, I suppose i want to one of the things i want to do with this podcast a bit is like unpick the mystery yeah. of um you are the performer therefore you must do this all the time and you're paid in solid gold ingots, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. every gig I think, um, um so most people i know even people who look like they are full-time comics have some sort of side hustle side gig there's something else that they do or they've got a partner who does more of the earning they do more yeah. of like the childcare or something like that yeah um yeah. yeah do you have anything that looks a bit like that i so the thing i did for years was i did kids entertainment i did children's birthday parties for about four mm. years and i think the fact that that was going on in parallel to what i was doing in comedy was partly why i had to stop for a year because i just got <laughs> sure I was like, i'm sick of being in front of people i need whether yeah. they're babies or adults in a comedy club i need to get away from this yeah. uh, but also taught me i think a lot of like comedy sensibilities of like i'm learning how to be a, a silly billy in front of people yeah, who yeah. don't care like that was quite helpful um so i did that for a long time and then left and then the last couple of years i've, I've basically just got very lucky with a few commercial jobs um, yeah. I've done a couple of like writing bits and acting bits for radio, which have been nicely paid. Uh, and the, I've sort of had one advert a year or so for the last like two, nice. three years. And yeah, that tends yeah. to be a big enough chunk that then you can supplement that with all sorts of kind of, right, I'll do yeah. these festivals. And, and like, like you say, like comedy itself, in terms of what people imagine it doing of like just gigging and going to festivals and, and maybe the odd panel show or, or radio thing yeah. or whatever, doesn't. It, like, I'd, I'd be very surprised if anybody makes their living from that I think you have to be doing kind of you know you either have to be a name and you're getting given kind of proper well paid TV work or you've got to have other things kind of at your disposal and yeah, I've been lucky enough to sort of do that through adverts the last couple of years yeah 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 yeah, I think there's a lot of comics that kind of supplement it who are like full capital F, capital T, capital C, full time comics. Yeah. Who will supplement it through like they'll have the advert paydays, they'll have the radio and yeah, TV paydays, yeah. and, of course, and, and they'll have corporates as well. Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. such a huge like part of the I think it's probably where the the largest chunk of comedians' income must come from the fact that around Christmas yeah. you have to do these handful of horrible gigs where nobody yeah. cares, and then you go, great, that paid for my year, <laughs> yeah. and now I can go back to my terribly paid yeah. job that we, I love. I, yeah, it's it's so nice doing um, Quantum Leopard in December because we've got mm. so many comics who've come in. I've just got oh, like, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> I've just done the worst corporate. Oh my god, it's just it's yeah. just so nice. You're just so nice. I love yeah. you all. Um, which is a really it's really nice to see that gear shift um, between like, yeah. the, you know best possible audience and worst possible audience. Uh, cool. Um, so uh, moving on to some of the other bits. So I want to talk about uh, your uh, your your award-winning uh, joke. Oh, uh, is it award-winning? No, uh, <laughs> it, uh, I think it came fourth it was... or something in the in the top ten jokes of the fringe. So it didn't That'll... quite win anything, but <laughs> not quite on the podium. But no, it, no. it qualified. It yeah. was uh, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, long-listed. Yeah. Um, and so that's <laughs> good. Okay. Um, so uh, this is the 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 um, the, the chic uh, joke, which yeah. I, I can say now. That's not a spoiler because um, yeah. you, it would be weird if you skipped the second half of the uh, of the podcast uh, before listening to the set. So um, this bit here. So basically, again, this is another very characteristic Jos Norris bit. So this is there's an extremely prolonged setup, mm-hmm. which is a very Jos Norris thing. Yeah. Um, and like, is this? It's also like it's it's an incredibly thin joke right yeah. like in the, in the, yeah, with the greatest rubbish. respect yeah it is it's absolutely yeah. rubbish uh, so it's, it's a one-liner based on a misunderstanding and like it with the greatest respect it barely works and yeah. it's about a song <laughs> that was out before most of the audience were born yeah um so one of the things that really strikes about this is that like it's 
like absolutely all of the reason that it works is the delivery it's the persona behind it it's it's how you're how you're bringing that joke to the stage mm. so again this is a really really that's a very very Jos norris way of doing things yeah to like take absolutely nothing like yeah. you're taking a, a, a substructure of smoke and then yeah. building this huge superstructure on top of it so um yes yeah, so i've got a variety of questions about this so i mean i suppose the, the first thing is um you know that, that having that sort of extremely prolonged setup and like mm. prolonging the the agony uh if you like um <laughs> Uh, like again that's a very Joss Norris technique is that something you've always done is that something you've grown into is that is there a particular place or a technique that you've got that from I can't remember where that came from other than I think just from uh discomfort I think I have a I, I can remember being on stage in like early gigs and not really knowing what I was doing or maybe having done a bit and it not getting the laugh I quite wanted and rather than just move on and go, okay, that was bad, I, I I did a few gigs, I think, early on where I just tried to turn it into this extended ramble of, like, continuing and continuing to over-explain or to plead or beg the audience to, <laughs> to see what I saw in it. Um, and I don't think that resulted in anything particularly good. I can't even remember what jokes that would have been. But I think somewhere in there I found this thing of, like, the the thing I really liked about that chic joke, and this is why it was so funny that it made that top ten jokes list, because whoever was joke. compiling that was like, seemed <laughs> no, to completely no, misunderstand not... <laughs> what was funny you're, about it. You're not liking my stuff yeah. in the right way. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Stop it. I think there Go were back. people who came to that show off the back of it and were like, oh, this will be a nice show full of lovely puns, and then that pun takes five minutes and, and <laughs> I scream at them for, <laughs> and dance around for a bit at the end of it. I was like, this isn't what I expected. But I think there's... I think there's something really funny. Basically, I came up with that thought, like I was listening to that song and heard that bit. Yeah. I thought it sounds like they're saying free cow, like they're trying to get rid of a cow. And then I think I laughed at that and kind of <laughs> chuckled and was like, yeah, that's great. There's someone in that. Um, and I think there's something in that. I think at, this, at the heart of a lot of comedy, what I really like is the idea of like, this person is trying to get you to understand how they see the world. That's sort of yep. what all comedy yep. and sort of what all yeah, art yeah, is, yeah. is yeah. one person is saying, I see the world this way. It looks and feels and sounds like this to me. Uh, do you, do you see it and do you understand it? And as an audience member, you'll never fully see it because you have your own version of the world. But I think comedy is a really nice way of summing up that kind of artistic relationship because if you get it you laugh like if you understand yeah. what's being said then you laugh and somebody else might hear the same idea and not laugh and go i don't get it it's not for me uh so f there's something i think really nice in the idea of somebody who's just reaching and reaching and reaching and trying over and over again to get people to see this very simple thing he sees that is rubbish that doesn't that basically doesn't work but there's something in that kind of like desperation to be like you're gonna love this joke it's gonna be great it's gonna be awful actually this is a waste of time I'm, i don't know why i'm taking this lot like all that kind of back and forth i think that for me is the heart of what makes comedy funny and what makes comedy interesting and what i love about it is that very human battle to be seen or to be understood or whatever because yeah, yeah. it's inherently doomed like you're never gonna do it and that i think is is funny in a way that's sort of what you're doing when you're trying to be funny is you're saying please please understand this terrible thing that i have understood <laughs> about the world and people go yeah we understand it and then you go oh great thank god so i think that's what's going on in that chic well i mean not really it's just a really long stupid <laughs> bad joke but somewhere in there there's that kind of human idea of reaching i think and um, so uh, people who are listening to the podcast um who've not uh, accessed uh, the patreon uh, oh, yeah. where rates are very reasonable and watch the video of the live show um where they won't be able to tell that you're doing this whole set um in uh, your pants um and uh, the musical interludes uh, like have you wearing a silly mask and dancing around all of this sort of stuff so you yes. know you're obviously a visual delight uh, but oh, uh, in in uh, for, for for podcast uh, listeners you are only delighting one of their five senses yeah, so sorry about um that. It, no, well, it's, uh, any more 
than that from a podcast uh, yeah, it would, would be, be, it would be a miracle. asking a bit much. It's it, you, You're looking then at witchcraft or synesthesia yeah. Yeah. Uh, or perhaps some sort of mind-machine interface. And I feel yeah, like... That's, that's an idea. That's, well, uh, yeah, it's another of these fucking terrible Elon Musk ideas, yeah. but we'll, we'll move on. Like, there is absolutely... Like, can you think of a major tech giant that you would allow access to the hardware of you? Your mind. Like, yeah, exactly. Without inside your mind. I mean, not even just your mind, just like your renal function. Yeah. Like, there's no... No, absolutely not. Get, get away from it. Yeah, there's got to be, like, be limits. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you are... So, right, you're, you're, uh, you have made a series of um, intriguing wardrobe and prop-based decisions here. Like, it is it is very clear here that when you are on stage that you're not walking on, you're not, like, jeans and a T-shirt. Hi, my name's Russell. Here's some things I've noticed lately about being on the apps, right? Yeah. So to what extent is um, you uh, adopting this, like, really not aggressively clownish, but, like, very obviously clownish yeah. uh, persona? Is that a deliberate statement of intent? Are you trying to achieve anything more than going, I am silly, that this is going to be silly, get used to it being silly. It was originally, so the, the mask dancing around stuff was very much uh, connected to that period of gigging of like, I need to remember how to have fun on stage. So that was very much like, I'm going to cover my face so they don't even know what's going on. I'm going to be this big Muppet ogre creature and then I'll dance mm. around. And I'd done that at a couple of gigs and sort of people seemed to like the absurdity of it. And then I started doing it at gigs and it it, it stopped being funny. I think Quantum Leopard was one of the ones where I was like, oh, hang on, this is just, there's nothing to this. This is just me being, <laughs> prioritizing my own enjoyment over theirs, which I think is a really important tipping point. To, like, you need for a while to concentrate on yourself and to go, got to remember how to have fun. And then there has to come a point where you go, no, I'm here to entertain these people. I'm not like, I'm not just here to be like, ah, whatever, fuck you guys. I'm having a great time. So that was a bit that I kind of came away going, I didn't need to do that. That was stupid. And that I phased out quite quickly afterwards. The pants stuff was much more, it's, that's a thing that's lasted into the new show. And it initially was just one of those like, um, uniform things which happens a lot in clowning of like mm -hmm. here's here's the thing the the costume item that i put on that makes me connect with a sort of silly silly part of myself and now i can be the silly me on stage so initially that's all i was doing with it but then as it went on and i did it more i started to realize it did very interesting things with status like it's i mean it's an ancient yeah thing. yeah the idea of like being in your pants is i'm not the first person to do that and loads of clowns have performed stuff in their pants uh but i i suddenly noticed that the stuff i was writing about was often about trying to pursue some kind of like spiritual agenda of like trying to work out who you are or trying to work out what's really going on in your mind or yourself or whatever and I was trying to explore all these ideas and make sense of them while wearing silly wife fronts and and that kind of disconnect between trying to be a kind of lofty high-minded human creation versus I'm a silly idiot in my pants suddenly that felt like a really interesting um tension to work with so i've ended up yeah. going further down the route in this show of being a very high status uh guy character who thinks that what he's saying is incredible and everyone has to listen to him and then he's kind of reduced by the fact that he's clearly a, a silly baby thing in, a, in, in his wife runs so that's sort of what that ended up being it did end up being a bit more than just me going this makes me feel silly it now does a bit more i think yeah, I mean that leads me. I mean, I think that leads me quite thematically, quite neatly onto the bit about the the Dalai Lama yeah. uh, and Desmond Tutu. Yeah. So there's there's other bits that I want to ask about that, but like in terms, it, that, to me, that's a theme that is very clearly demonstrated within that sequence. Is yeah. that, am, I, am I correct to think that? Was yeah, that that's exactly what that bit is basically. I, yeah. I I kind of I mean I'm sure lots of people. Everybody's experience of the last two years was different, but also probably very similar in lots of ways. And the way I went with it was 
it, it became very much about control. I sort of felt like I'd lost control of so much stuff that I desperately needed to control something. So first I was very obsessive about like, I'm gonna create content all the time and put stuff out in the world and that's that's important. And then I sort of burnt myself out with that and tried to control other things about my daily routine or whatever. And gradually, gradually over those two years, kind of got, oh, have you seen Synecdoche in New York? Yes, although I'm, a long time ago, so don't ask me any further questions. Right, about it's it. a bit of a mess of a film, but there's an amazing <laughs> line at the end where somebody says, "At the end of everything, you realise that nobody is watching and that nobody ever was." And when I saw that, I felt like this incredible mm. like load lift, and I was like, "Oh yeah, nobody cares about any of this. <laughs> All, like nobody cares yeah, what I'm working yeah. on or what I'm doing or if I'm fine or like what, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter." Um, and then read the Book of Joy, the, uh, the Desmond Tutu Dalai Lama one, just because it was a sort of, it's one of those silly pop spirituality books that yeah, uh, yeah. my girlfriend's brother had on his shelf. So I was like, yeah, I'll read these. Um, and actually found something really sweet about them. I watched, We watched the film of it as well. Um, and the two of them are very funny with each other and they're very clownish. Uh, so the routine obviously is made up like the they're yeah. actually in the book going to meditations and going to prayer and talking about mortality and life and stuff but there's a spirit of play between them that I really liked so trying to kind of take that to the extreme of going I'm going to write a complete nonsense bit about these two being silly naughty boys uh, and indulging in, in sort of childish schoolyard stuff but the yeah. the feeling of it is still them arriving at some kind of peace about who they are or about the fact that they can't control how they come across or what other people think about them that yeah that that routine basically is trying to synthesize the idea of like finding peace as a person and indulging in absolute childish nonsense which i think is kind of the sweet spot that you want everybody to get to ideally i got this sort of vaguely sort of shawshank redemption-ish sort of feel to it yeah um particularly yeah, with like, like emotional you had a bit of a score over, yeah. yeah exactly uh, yeah yeah with the emotional monologue and with i think you had a bit of a score underneath yeah. it as well towards yeah, the end some Craig um, armstrong music so it's got yes. that sort of Morgan Freeman gravitas to it, but the there we go. content I, is total, total rubbish. <laughs> I often think Jos Norris, Morgan Freeman gravitas. That yeah, is, yeah, that's yeah, very yeah, much, yeah, yeah. very much your MO. <laughs> I'm glad that that's <laughs> getting out there as a result of me directly saying it. That's good. Yeah, you are your own best judge of these things. You're so right. you're right. You know, if you're if you're not going to say this stuff about yourself, then you can't you can't just wait uh, no. wait around for other people to coin pithy phrases in praise of you and your own unique genius. Like you've got to be out there doing yeah, that. You know? Someone's got to create that um, stuff. <laughs> Um, so I want to circle back a little bit um, to uh, some of the things because we uh, kind of because that bit you then do the sort of the callback with the second segment. So we've then what, yep. what we've done there is we've talked about that bit. Then we've talked about the callback bit, and there's other bits that I want to talk about. So um, so uh, one of the things. So you you talk a lot about um, music uh, in your set, like through like uh, references here and there. Yeah. Um, and but also like lots of other sets I've seen. Again, like obscure musical references. I mean, they're probably not that obscure in the grand scheme of things but yeah you know, but... um that is again that's very much a sort of a, a Joss Norris motif but like, I've never seen you play an instrument and to the I don't know if you even do I mean I, I know that you come from musical background in terms of yeah. you know your family and home life but you know are you are you musical as a performer or are you just an appreciator like how how is music how have you related to music in your life I sort of I I, I play a tiny bit of clarinet uh because I learned as a teenager and I've basically not picked it up since every now and again I pick it up and try and play w one song for a a show or whatever and it always sounds quite bad but because uh, I never kept it up um, and I sing a lot but never in shows or very rarely in shows uh, I sort of just do it for myself because I think it's just I think partly music was sort of around because my family did it so it was an important part of stuff there and also it just became a thing that my brain sort of latched onto in my teens that that 
I think it relaxed me. It got, it got to a point where I sort of had to be listening to stuff nearly constantly. Like whenever I'm working and I'm on my own, it's something is playing, mm. uh, and I find it quite weird to exist in silence if I'm on my own. It's probably it's it's too obsessive. I think the way I listen to it, but because of that, uh, I think it became a real sort of gateway to like to imagining stuff and to to wondering about stuff. It sort of became a constant kind of background hum over which I could kind of imagine myself into like, oh, this song kind of sounds like this sort of mood so I'm going to imagine myself as that kind of guy and I think as a teenager I would just sort of create those sorts of imagined lives for myself through that so I still write everything that way like most of how I come up with shows tends to involve me wandering around with whatever album I've got on at the time and that tends Mm. to inform the shape of my thoughts or the shape of my ideas and then I try and go back and remember all that and type it up Uh, so a lot of what I write ends up being kind of shaped by the music that went into it if that makes sense and then Uh a lot of the time i then remove the music and just leave the leave the idea that i wrote and hope that's really interesting that it still summons that and other times i leave the music in because i go no the music needs so with the dalai lama for instance that yeah yeah i was like that has to have the the music there to fully create the mood but other times they're all they're very often kind of shaped by whatever i was listening to at the time really that's really interesting. That is that is the first time I've ever heard a comedian talk about writing material in that way. That's right. really interesting. That's really interesting. So, I mean, if you were going to like score this set, apart from the bits that have obviously got uh, an actual score and the music still left in, yeah. Um, are there particular bits here, like other particular albums that you would have listened to that you remember listening to while writing particular bits of this? I'm trying to remember with the sort of the stuff about the dream or the. I mean, Sheik obviously is set to the Sheik yeah. music. Uh, the there's skeleton in the bin is another yeah, bit I haven't asked skeleton you about. In is the that bin was that was stuff I was thinking about while I was in Scotland and I was listening to a lot of the National. I think possibly the song Slow Show by the National was a thing that was going around a lot while working on those bits. Uh, and the thing about the Dalai Lama's tweets, I think I went down a more kind of like uh, carnivalesque, circusy thing, which I think actually might end up being one of the songs that I danced around to in the Troll Mask. I think that's an Astrid Gilberto track. Uh, and I think that might have been one of the things that was going around when I was thinking about the Dalai Lama. No, I, did, I don't think... Um, I think with a lot of it, people would listen to the things side by side with the routine and go, no, what? I don't, <laughs> I, I don't see the connection between these Your interpretation of this yeah. as an artist <laughs> is wrong. completely way off. Yeah. Um, so often, <laughs> I think, I just for letters. me, is a kind of method yeah. thing. I, I don't think it necessarily is baked into the bones of the stuff itself, sure, but I think sure. other times it, it it's sort of in there in a way. So, I mean, is it the kind of thing where if you were looking to do something somewhat different comedically, you could, like, pop something different in the stereo and that would lead you down a different track and maybe lead you to construct something? Is it the kind of thing where, like, you've almost got, like, an improv prompt by putting on an album of classic happy hardcore or whatever yeah i think so i think it's it's whatever kind of happens to be i mean it's always just for i very rarely do it spontaneously it's always following a list because like i said there's this far too obsessive system i've got and i've in my head i've kind of got it that maybe one day i'll listen to everything so i have to and i worked out the <laughs> other day i can't i worked out the yeah the running time of all music ever and it's longer than my life yeah and I'm devastated. yeah yeah uh, but because of that, it means everything is actually like quite planned in advance like tomorrow i need to listen to the new porcupine tree album or whatever um so it's it's never that I kind of throw something spontaneous on to surprise myself. It's just that that day's album ends up kind of affecting my mood and then that throws its way. But I do end up coming up with different stuff depending on what is on the background. I'll be like, oh, this routine feels different today. Uh, and that might be because the, the music is different and then it might take it in a new, a new direction, really. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. 
Lovely stuff. Um, so uh, I mentioned the skeleton in a bin uh, bit. Yeah. Um, now, did that did that bit genuinely start with the premise from a dream? Uh, is the dream real? And um, or did you uh, come with that independently? And what was your process for kind of developing that bit from where you started? It was a real dream. The 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 saying was in the dream of if you're looking for your skeleton, you can't start by looking in the bin. And I woke up and was like, wow, that's really profound. And I think <laughs> I I think I tweeted about it. I think at first I was like, oh, I'll, I'll do a silly tweet. And then I think it it maybe it got a decent number of likes to make me think oh there might be something in it or something or maybe i'll look it up and it got two likes or something and, <laughs> and i was just being uh, willfully self-indulgent but uh it was I, I guess similar to the thing with the the chic song there was something about then going on stage and trying to explain this and trying to convince an audience that actually it was really perfect like obviously i'm aware it's essentially a nonsense phrase that doesn't mean anything but yeah. the the battle to try and convince an audience that you've accidentally dreamed up the most <laughs> uh, profound. incredible profound uh, yeah. like glib thing ever again felt like there were there was an entertaining gap to be mined there between the kind of the the rubbishness of the thing you've said and the the hope that maybe it might be incredible uh and I think that that was just worked up through genuinely having that conversation with audience members, just going on stage and trying to kind of see whether people reacted to it and then genuinely talk to them about, like, do you get it? Who understands? What do you think it means? And trying to kind of take that around. Uh, so that's where that sort of emerged from, really, was just from real conversations with audience members. Uh, did you then repeat aspects of those conversations with audience members with other audiences or did you just try and do it fresh each time? I think initially it was just a, a go on with nothing and try and find find the funny stuff in that and then i think gradually i sort of learned the ways in which to steer that and what that then led me on to in terms of talking about it sort of layered up into it's it's now turned into quite a long elaborate conversation about skeletons and about trying to work out what the best and worst bones are and putting them in order and all that kind of thing and all this came from layering up what different audiences had said that were funny and trying to kind of combine them into something coherent i guess yeah 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 fair enough um so i mean i mean that kind of leads me on to sort of the the audience interaction kind of aspect of it so yeah. um you do the sort of one word at a time sentence which yeah. is you know really nice participative yeah, yeah. um improv game so again is that something that you do with a lot of audiences um do you have a is there anything about a particular room that makes you decide to keep it in decide to keep it out like how much do you trust audiences in general and how much do you trust like the quantum leopard audience i realize that's a, quite a lot of questions there's a there's a it's now all gone that bit it was a bit that i played with for a long time okay. i think because it really um it really spoke to that thing of like trying to remember how to have fun with these people and i think this that was a really important routine for remembering how to make it communal and not to do the self-indulgent thing yeah, like, i'm having yeah. fun at your expense so yeah. i think the thing of going around and building a sentence with the audience was a really big stepping stone for me remembering how to kind of connect with them yeah. uh, and the idea of trying to do a tweet that was good enough to impress the dalai lama again was f felt like a funny enough impossible task that Obviously, he's never going to see it anyway, and even if he did, he almost certainly would not react to it in any way at all. So the fact that this is an impossible task, but we're all as a room going to get behind it, felt like a really fun thing to play with. I always enjoyed it most when the audience like kind of genuinely tried. It always went one of two ways. Yeah. Either they very quickly tried to sabotage it and make it very smutty. Uh, so, you know, within three words, people would go like my big shit is in the loo or whatever, you know, and then mm -hmm. and as soon as that happened... I, I sort of had to indulge it and allow it because you sensed like this is the kind of fun that this audience wants to have with this bit so I have to permit that but it always felt less funny to me it was always funnier when you let an audience seem to like genuinely try to create that group mind thing of like no we want yeah, to find yeah. the thing that's going to impress the Dalai Lama and because you know none of us really know much about his personality so that, that, that's kind of an impossible task in itself of like what sort of tweets would he like so to see the combination of like 
people sometimes trying to say something that sounds very wise, but then other people saying something a bit unexpected that threw it off course. I really enjoyed it when mm, it was like mm. that. Uh, but I think eventually it, it felt like it was too kind of unwieldy as a bit to make sense in a in a bigger show. I enjoy yeah. it a lot. I think it's a thing I'd still play with in, in gigs. I think it's just at the moment because I'm in show mode. I'm now, I now haven't done it for quite a while. But I think Quantum Leopard were one of my favorite ones for doing it with, because again, I think there was more of a sense of like, genuinely trying to engage with the idea and work out how to be sort of silly with it which i really enjoyed yeah it's one of the nice things about a quantum leper crowd is that it's it's an audience that generally speaking is willing to like uh defer gratification and like get on board with an idea yeah. because they know that they're going to have a nice time and that like it's partly a function of it being a lot of regulars and partly a function of the kind of people that i book and various policies around the night that try and make it inclusive that they feel that they can be safe in doing that which is a really really yeah. nice thing to be able to do um cool your bit about um the samaritans which oh, again yeah. i enjoyed which is a really nice bit which is it mixes the the sort of the um the the uh, smutty and silly and the serious so within this bit uh and, and I, we touched on this a little bit earlier like you've got a, a, a habit of just sort of offhandedly mentioning very sincere statements of meaning about yourself about life in general this, yeah. this sort of thing so um i suppose the question i want to ask in this bit is is this something that you do to sort of augment the comedy uh or is it something that you feel that you um like that you kind of earned by you do a load of absurd jokes and um the, the absurdity of that material then earns you the uh, the right to be sincere so where's the balance for you with that i think it's i think i'm i'm always trying to these days i'm always trying to do a sort of like have your cake and eat it thing where i i do feel like the idea of um well the idea of having some sincerity in there and some some truth in there is basically a thing that i always want from it because like i say a lot of what i love about comedy is that that desperate thing to be like this is me this is who i am please please get it please understand it uh, and sometimes that manifests just as being stupid and other times you just really want to say something true about yourself but i also do genuinely believe like we were saying earlier that the idea of trying to do that is hubristic and it's it's imposing your lived experience onto the audience as though your life is more interesting than theirs and it's not and every one of them feels exactly the same way about themselves it's all we're all people you know so i think these days I try to sort of allow myself the the brief kind of glimpse of a moment of like this is this is how I feel and then try to undercut it immediately by sort of acknowledging that it's that it that it means nothing if that makes sense. So that's why it now happens in the context of the Samaritan's call. The fact that there's somebody on the other end of the line who gets the wrong end of the stick and is trying to read out kind of sex chat lines is a way of sort of puncturing my own need to be heard or understood if that makes sense. So I sort of get a moment yeah, yeah. of like it's like this and then immediately I go no you you're not allowed to talk about that. That's not nobody cares basically. <laughs> It was interesting as well. So, like the so um, a very good friend of mine uh, worked for a while uh, on a sex chat line, right? Um, and uh, it was really fascinating hearing them talking about it because it is it is people who are doing that weird mix, doing both of the speeds that you are running that phone line at. Yeah. There is the the sex chat line speed, but there's also the Samaritan speed, and like yeah. people are calling it for both reasons. And yeah. there is a lot of there's a lot of crossover, which I thought was um, really really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, I, I, my kind of my last question. Um, so, um, if there's one thing after all of your sort of lifetime accumulated wisdom if there's one thing that you could say to yourself at the age of 18 what would it be um poor. i reckon i i saw a really good uh talk recently about uh about choice uh, at, uh the, how the light gets in festival in hayon Wai, and it was a academic called professor ruth chang who her point basically was like whatever choice you make in life will end up being the right one because you you sort of mold your reality into that by the act of committing to that thing uh, and it was a really great talk. It made me kind of settle a lot of things in my head. So I think if I was going to say anything, it would be to understand that all the things 
that are going to happen to you over the next 12, 14 years, how old am I? 14 years, uh, are, are the right things and that they will that will become clear eventually and to try not to find too much kind of uh, discomfort in the, oh, what am I doing? I don't know I don't know who to be or where where my life is taking me. I think I'd just tell him to chill out and accept that probably this is all this is all for the best. That would be the advice. I think. <laughs> nice. That is, no, that's lovely. I think that's a lovely way to end it. Lovely. Thanks very much. Uh, so thank you very much, Jos Norris. Um, if people want to catch up with uh, the things that you're doing, um, uh, where should they where should they look you up? What, what would you like to plug? I just finished a fringe run of a new show called Blink, which hopefully might be coming to a venue near you. Uh, so you can look out for that. And a, a radio sitcom that I wrote with Miranda Holmes called The Dream Factory is out on BBC Radio 4 in October. So you can hopefully catch up with that. You can go to josnorris.co.uk or follow me at josnorris on Twitter for more details about all of that. Cool. Um, and uh, can we spell Jos Norris for... Sure thing. Uh, that is J-O-Z-N-O-R-R-I-S. Lovely stuff. Okay. Thanks very much for joining us, Jos. Um, it's been a pleasure and a delight. It's been lovely. Um, Thank you so much for yeah. having me. Hooray. And uh, we, will, we will see you sooner rather than later. Yeah, Thanks very much. Bye. 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 was the Quantum Leopard podcast. Uh, if you want to catch a live show in London, look us up at uh, linktree uh, forward slash Quantum Leopard to sign up to the mailing list. Uh, we will never take advertising because advertising is cultural poison, but from each according to their ability to each according to their need. So if you enjoyed our guests in your ears, but we'd like them in your eyes as well, uh, we have uh, videos of whole shows up on patreon.com forward slash Quantum Leopard. We only charge when a new live show video comes out. If you enjoyed the show, why not give us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice and or share this episode on the socials. Editing was by uh, Reese Lawton, who is uh, conventionally attractive and fun at parties. Uh, music was composed and produced by Rooks Production Services at, at I Am Rooks on the socials. That's Rooks with an E. Uh, the Quantum Leopard podcast is distributed and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 international license, which means you can share it as much as you like, but don't uh, change it or sell it in any way because I will find out where you live. Uh, kind love and see you soon. Bye. Leave it in, please, Reese. It was really human and flawed and good. <laughs>